Hi, this is Dan Pastorini, and you're listening to The Grilling Truth. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Grilling Truth NFL Legends Show. I'm your host, Mike Goodpaster. Um, we're brought to you by Gridiron Mo, as we said, new interactive football app where you get to call what the offense or defense does during a live NFL game and see what everybody else is called. So make sure you check that out at www.gridironmo.com. Our guest today, one of the greats in Denver Bronco history, one of the greatest kick returners of all time. Help me welcome to the show from the Denver Broncos, Rick Upchurch. Hello. How are you guys doing, Mike? All right. Great to have you on, Rick. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. All right. So we'll just start from the beginning. What age did you start playing football? Who were some of your early influences? Um, Certainly, uh, when I first started playing football, it was was my cousin uh, back in Holland, Ohio. Uh, where I grew up, he played football in high school, and you know I followed him all over the place, and he got really got me uh, involved in in uh, football. I was a baseball player and a track runner, uh, basically. And then uh, I started watching football, and I started watching a guy by the name of Gale Sayers. Gale Sayers he, uh, was just phenomenal. I mean, he did some things that were just uh, outstanding, and uh, I tried to pattern my ways after him, even as a young young kid. And then uh, as I grew older, um, you know, just watching Billy White Shoes Johnson and, and uh, some of the Travis uh, Williams who played for Green Bay and some of those guys uh, and Jim Brown and, and, and those guys. I, I just had a lot of guys that I watched, but Gail Sayers was the number one guy. All right. So tell us a little bit about your high school career and what led you to Centerville Community College. Well, I, high school, uh, you know, uh, uh, had a great career there, had an opportunity to win a uh, conference championship there. The school's first. Uh, I was co-player of the year, and um, I was all-state there back in Ohio and uh, all-conference and all of those type of things. I was a track runner. I was all-state in track and those type of things. And, uh, and then I uh, ended up going to Indian Hills Community College. Uh, my high school coach, uh, you know, thought it would be best for me to go to uh, junior college, and uh, so I, I went to junior college at Indian Hills where I was a two-time All-American there, I was rated one of the top three run, uh, running backs in, in the country. I was a running back. I wasn't a wide receiver, and I returned kicks as well. So uh, they would put me in all kinds of places in junior college. And then, uh, you know, went to the University of Minnesota, where I was a two-time All-Big Ten uh, running back and, uh, and kick returner as well. Uh, there at the uh, University of Minnesota and was drafted in the, in the fourth round by the, uh, by the Denver Broncos, and that's where I spent my, last, my nine years in Denver. All right. All right, so everybody sees what the NFL drafts like today. What was your draft day like in 1975? Well, it, once again, it, it it wasn't all the fanfare that they have today. I was uh, with my guys there at the at the dorms. Uh, we were sitting around myself, Steve Mills, some of the other guys were waiting around to get a phone call, you know, from our prospective teams that might be uh, interested in us. And uh, when I got my phone call, they said you're going to the Mile High City. And I had no idea what the Mile High City was or anything. And uh, so he, they said the Denver Broncos, and I was like, the Denver Broncos? I'm thinking Pittsburgh, Kansas City, you know, someone like that, Minnesota Vikings where I played, you know, played my college ball up there, and they knew who I was. But uh, the Denver Broncos picked me, and uh, that's where I ended up for the last, for my nine-year uh, nine career. All right, now you go to training camp with the Denver Broncos. I mean, what was the adjustment like going from a running back in college to a wide receiver kick returner in the NFL? Uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't a whole lot because all I had to do was understand and, and learn how to 
you know, read zones and whether I was a man or zone or, uh, you know, naturally the audibles and those type of things. It was no different. It's just that I had to learn how to run patterns, and I couldn't run them full speed like I wanted to in that ordeal. I had to moderate my speed and learn how to come in and out of breaks and those type of things. And I did catch passes, you know, at the University of Minnesota, uh, you know, out of the backfield. So I knew how to catch the ball, that's for sure. But running patterns, I had to learn. I had great teachers like Haven Moses and Billy Van Hughes and, and guys like that that really helped me understand how to run patterns. Yeah, and I mean, you had, I think John Ralston was the coach when you got there, which he, he put a lot of the pieces in puzzle that led to that magical 1977 season. What was your relationship like with Coach Ralston? I had a good relationship with Coach Ralston. I never had a problem with him. Uh, you know, he was always uh, courteous and, and kind with me, and we all both had respect for each other. But, uh, you know, once again, uh, the guys felt like, uh, you know, in 1977, 76, when uh, we went 9-5, and five, and we could have done a whole lot better, and uh, there was a situation where uh, the guys were unhappy, and uh, that's why, you know, the team rebelled against uh, John and wanted to get a new coach in. So, but John Rossman, he knew his talent. He knew how to, uh, you know, put together talent and all of those type of things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you go to 1977, you get Red Miller. I mean, what was the thing that Red Miller did that kind of put you guys over the top with that 77 <laughs> season? Well, Red Miller came in. He was the glue. He was the guy that – came in and said, here's discipline, this is how we're going to win. And uh, if we don't put together the discipline and the family atmosphere that we, that we needed to have and do things together and hang together and watch out for each other and those type of things, uh, then we would never get over that hump uh, like we wanted to. Like I said, we knew we had the talent, but you had to have that little extra bit of spice. And, uh, and uh, Red Miller's was, was that uh, little extra piece of spice that we needed uh, that, uh, you know, guided us to our, our first Super Bowl. Yeah, and you talked about that 77 team and how close that team was, and that's the thing I take away. We've interviewed a lot of great players that played on great teams, and the common denominator there seems to be how much the guys actually cared about each other and how much time they spent together. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to get to know one another on and off the field, and uh, that's one thing that we did. We spent a lot of time with each other off the field as well as on the field, and so when you build that type of camaraderie, you know, the families, the wives know each other, the children know each other, you build something that's pretty doggone special, and that's just in a, even in our own common life. Yeah, and... The 1977 season, I mean, the big point to me is what was the time during that season where you knew this team was different than the other teams? Well, certainly when you go 6-0, and you know, your first six games, you knew that your team was pretty doggone good. And we beat some pretty good teams, uh, you know, in the process. We, you know, we ended up beating, you know, the Oakland Raiders, who were the um, defending world champions there at, uh, uh, at Oakland. Uh, we beat some uh, pretty good Kansas City teams, and we beat uh, St. Louis that year that was uh, contenders for the NFC uh, title as well. So uh, after we won six games, we knew we had something going pretty well. Yeah, and it had to be special because that team had been around for a while, 15, 16 years, and never even been to the playoffs. I mean, what was the atmosphere around the city for the players? It was absolutely crazy, and, you know, the fans were excited the year before when we went 9-5, and five. Uh, but then when you go 6-0, and oh, like I said, the fans were pretty excited and said, we got some good stuff going here. But we also knew that uh, we had a foe in, um, in uh, the Oakland Raiders, like I said, who were the uh, defending world champions. We had the, uh, we had the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they're a big-time 
uh, four of ours as well, rivalry. Uh, Once again, the uh, San Diego Chargers, that's back when you had Air Coriel. That was awful, awful good. So that AFC West, uh, you had to get through the AFC West as well as all the other things outside of the the AFC West in order to to come up with a a winner, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, and then you get your first playoff game. You guys are hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers, who've been there a few times. I mean, was there any doubt going into that game in any of the players' minds? No, well, you know, we 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 always uh, played like uh, uh, this was our last game. We never went in with any uh, cockiness. We never went in with, uh, you know, we're all that. We just knew that each and every game was a different game, and we had to play that that game for that day. And so we always rallied, man, for that game, that next opponent, and never looked ahead. Yeah, you beat the Steelers, I think, like 23-17, to 24-17. You come back, you play the Raiders in a rubber match. You guys had beaten each other on your home fields. Just tell me what the day was for you. What do you remember from that 77 AFC Championship game? Wow. And maybe talk a little bit about the rivalry with the Raiders while you were there. I just know it was really cold. I, it was cold as all get out. I mean, I think it was almost five degrees or something like that that day. Wind chill factor was below zero. I knew it was a cold day. Uh, I was just coming off of, of a leg injury against Pittsburgh. I got leg whipped, and uh, I had an injury on my thigh and that whole deal. So, uh, I didn't get a chance to do much at wide receiver, but I did return a couple of couple of kickoffs. But uh, I wasn't at full strength at that particular time. So, but uh, uh, I just remember that everybody, man, was confident that we could beat the Raiders there uh, in Denver, and uh, we knew it was going to be a tough game. And uh, that whole week, we just uh, we just planned to celebrate. We really did. We knew that we had a good football team. We could beat the Raiders. Yeah, so you beat the Steelers, you beat the Raiders, you get to the Super Bowl, you got to play the Cowboys. I mean, right. the Dallas Cowboys, that was probably, I think, Tom Landry's best team there, and that was a team that went to the playoffs every year for almost three decades with him there. Um, what are your remembrances of Super Bowl Twelve, and what was the Super Bowl week like in Louisiana for you guys? Well, uh, we were parked way out. We weren't anywhere close to, you know, down uh, down to the French quarters or anything. Red had us way out where we couldn't get to anything. It was business as usual. Uh, you know, the first opportunity to win a Super Bowl World Championship. And, uh, all our, you know, our, we were just big-eyed, Google-eyed because, you know, we had never been there. But we knew we were there for business, and we practiced like that all week. And uh, we were pretty confident that we could go in and we could beat the, the uh, Dallas Cowboys. We, had, we felt like defensively we were just as good as anybody that was out there. Offensively, we never put ourselves in a bad situation. And then the special teams, we know we were awful good there. And so uh, we felt like we matched up pretty well with the, with the Dallas Cowboys and thought we could win it. Yeah, and then you get to the Super Bowl. Actually, you had a very good game. I know you had a punt return, I think, or a kick return, third or second half or early in it that got you guys back in the game where you went down and scored. Um, so what, what's your takeaway from the game? I mean, I know that you have to be proud of the way you played yourself, but yet disappointed at the team loss. We had a great opportunity, man, to do something real special. But we, you know, we uh, got ourselves there. And, you know, the results is three, uh, three Super Bowl trophies that we have right now. So we started the, the fuse and got, that, got things burning. And uh, John Elway and then this last team uh, ended up, uh, you know, uh, bringing us the hardware. And so we're pretty very proud of what we started uh, back in 1977. And uh, today you see that we're one of the winningest teams in the National Football League. So we're very proud of it, and we're happy to be a proud of the history. Yeah, and you were there right at the start. You're basically the foundation of that history. Well, absolutely. You know, once again, you got to start somewhere, 
and uh, just like a river, man. A river starts at the top, and then all of a sudden it gets real big down at the end. So uh, we, we were just, like I said, very proud that we have a piece of that history, and uh, we can look back and say we, we accomplished some goals. All right, so you guys made the playoffs the next year, lost to Pittsburgh, had some decent seasons, 79-80, but didn't make the playoffs. 1981, Red Miller leaves, Dan Reeves comes in as the head coach. Um, what are your thoughts of Dan Reeves? What kind of relationship did you have with him? Uh, once again, Dan, Dan was Dan. He came from, uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys uh, background. You know, that's, uh, you know, a great tradition there. You know, there with Tom Landry, and they were a winning team, America's team. So he came with a lot of tradition and some championships and backgrounds behind him as well. So, you know, we had respect for him for what he had accomplished and what he had, what he could bring to this team and uh, help us to, to continue uh, to be winners there. Now, we talked a little bit about that 77 team, and it seems to me that, like I said, the teams that went to the Super Bowl had that kind of relationship with each other. Do you think today, with the way training camps are, where guys basically go home after a couple weeks, do you think that takes away from that camaraderie that teams can develop? I think it does. I think, you know, you've got to really spend a lot of time, quality time together. You know, back with us, we were, we're all hanging together saying, man, we've got to get to the playoffs so we can make some extra money. Uh, that was the number one thing. And then the other thing was to be able to, you know, go and win a championship. And so we knew that we all had to hang together, work together, do all the things together to accomplish the goal uh, in order to get anything accomplished. And, uh, you know, these kids today, uh, it, you know, it's pretty easy. I mean, we hit every day with pads on. Uh, you know, it was no easy days. Uh, we always went goal line line. We always went one-on-one line and all of those things. So, you know, today these kids need to go shoulder pads, helmets, and short. Uh, so, you know, it's pretty easy for them today. And also the dollars. The dollars are certainly different. You know, I didn't, I mean, when you talk about a million dollars, we never even saw anything like that. We were all wanting to get to the playoffs so that we can make some extra money. <laughs> yeah, heck, and even back then during the 70s, the playoff money is a big deal because most of you guys had jobs in the off season, didn't you? That's right, man. You had to do something, man, in order to, to fill the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Got to keep the wife happy, huh? Yeah, happy wife, happy life, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I know after you retired, you became, I think, a high school football coach. Am I correct there? I, no, I went to college. I went college, I coached then high at, at Tabor College, yeah, over in uh, Hillsborough, Kansas. Uh, Tabor so what college. drove you to want to be a coach? Uh, you know, I've always uh, worked with young people. I've always coached, uh, you know, I know the game backwards and forwards. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm telling you. I know how to get myself prepared. I know how to prepare you. So why hold on to a treasure, man, when you're able to uh, spread it out and give it to, to some other folks that might want to do what you did? Yeah. All right, and finally, your biggest battle was not on the football field. Do you want to tell us a little bit about when you found out that you had leukemia? I think it was in 2011, and what your thoughts were when you first found out? Well, you know, I found out that with, with, the, uh, with the blood test and that whole deal, I was feeling kind of bad, and, you know, there's certain things were happening. I was bruising when I would get hit, and, I was cold sweats at night, and uh, I would fall asleep at the wheel, man, still sitting at a light, and that was the fatigue that was going on. And I didn't really know that I, that I had, a, you know, contracted leukemia, you know, CML. And so when I went to the doctor to uh, get a blood test for my physical, I was called and told to come back in. They thought the machine had made a mistake. I went back in, got another blood test. They called me the next morning, uh, said they needed to see me and my wife immediately. And uh, they had their suspicions. They sent me to a cancer doctor, uh, did a bone marrow, tra- uh, bone marrow biopsy, 
and it came back that I had CML, chronic myelogenous leukemia. Uh, that means I'm a, I'm a chronic case, so I continue to make uh, cancer cells in my bone marrow. So I take uh, three pills a day, which is chemo pills, to, to maintain everything, and I've been in remission now for about four and a half, almost five years. Yeah, and I know that you've had a lot of help and success using CBD oil. You want to tell us a little bit about that and what that does? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I, once again, my doctor, when I first got here uh, to Denver, they wanted me to get down, get my uh, my my countdowns, uh, my counts down to zero, and and it was hard. They were trying to, they would give me a little bit more uh, of my chemo pill, but that would take me down too far, and then not enough. And so I was never able to get there until a friend of mine came to me and says, Here, here's something that might help. I started taking it, and sure enough, I got down to zero, and uh, it's been helping me as far as my side effects are concerned. It's helped me as far as my weight is concerned, my clarity and my head thinking and, and that whole deal. So it, overall, it's really helped me 120%. Yeah, and I mean, I've interviewed and talked to, like, Donnie Lalonde. I don't know if you remember him, fought Sugar Ray Leonard, former light heavyweight mm-hmm. champion of the world. I know mm-hmm. he's told me a lot about that. We actually did an hour show probably about a year and a half ago about the effects of CBD oil. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think? I mean, what do you think about the effects? Or do you think the NFL should look into, instead of the Vicodin, all these painkillers, using something like CBD oil for pain? Do you think that would be something that well, would help? Well, I just know that the pills, man, we, are, we know what, what the pills have done. I mean, a lot of guys have, uh, you know, gotten addicted to them and some have passed away. So we know what the pills would do. So what's the alternative? The alternative is to use something that's natural, something that's not going to be give you uh, uh, performance enhancing and all of that type of stuff, but it will help you as far as your body is concerned. I know the, the science is there, the studies are there. And uh, they need to just look at it and say, you know what, instead of giving prescription pills, let's do this, let's let this be a part of our medical treatment. Yeah, but unfortunately they probably won't do that because there's no lobbyists for CBD oil in Washington, D.C. Well, that's all right. We're, we're going to continue to fight and continue to talk about it, continue to bring forward all the studies and the cases and that whole deal. And, uh, you know, once again, uh, they would rather give us pills rather than give us something that's natural that helps us. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, well, most of the things that go on in this world anymore don't make a whole lot of sense to me, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. But, uh, once again, uh, when you're talking about natural things where the body can recognize it, use it, and have no side effects, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and the CBD oil doesn't contain any THC or anything, does it? No, it does not. Well, certain people, like for myself it does, I have to have a little bit because when I take my chemo pills, it it, uh, suppresses my appetite and those type of things. So I have to, you know, do a little bit in mine, but outside of that, I don't do a whole lot, though. Yeah, but that's still a hell of a lot better than popping Vicodin. Absolutely, absolutely. yeah, so you want to tell the listeners, I know a lot of people in the Denver area all over the world, all over the country got behind you in this fight. What's it been like for you to have this many people show this much affection to you? Well, you know, it's it's great. You know, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that are going through all kinds of diseases and problems and that whole deal, and I'm just one of them. And, you know, for people to reach out and say, hey, Rick, we're here for you and or whatever we can do to help you, my family back in Ohio, uh, helping fundraising, uh, the Broncos alumni, which I'm a part of and that whole deal, they stepped up to the plate to help out, was always there for me. So, uh, like I said, we're a family, 
uh, we're a Bronco family. We're a Bronco family around the world and around the United States. And to all the fans, man, that, that stepped up, man, and was encouraging and, and uh, the wind beneath my wings, I say thank you. All right. Um, is are there any foundations or anything leukemia wise that you're doing that you know what you know? Do you want people to go to? No, Mike. You know, all I do is I hook up with different organizations, my wife and I, and we just go ahead and just jump in and help raise money uh, for different organizations. No particular one organization. We just step up and just help. All right, Rick. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Well, Mike, thank you very much. It's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show, and I hope your fans enjoy it. Well, most definitely, Rick. Thanks a lot. You have a good one. God bless. You too, Rick. God bless. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was Rick Church. Rick Upchurch, one of the greatest punt returners, kick returners in NFL history. Um, make sure you check out all of our shows during the next week at thegruelingtruth.net. Of course, we get the CFL Weekly Pick'em Show with Dieter Brock. We get the NFL Weekly Pick'em Show with former Denver Bronco lineman Mark Cooper. And then about 30 other shows, if I sit here and tell you all this show will turn into an hour when we're trying to keep it around 20 or 25 minutes. Uh, I can tell you this, that on Sunday night, we will have former welterweight contender Stevie Forbes on with me and Jeremiah Pricer on the Inside Boxing Weekly Show to break down the upcoming Manny Pacquiao-Jesse Vargas pay-per-view fight, which is, I believe, next Saturday. Also, on Tuesday, tentatively scheduled, i got former Cincinnati Bengal great Tim Crumry, the king of the jungle. If you're a Bengal fan, you definitely remember Crumry's Super Bowl twenty-three, the broken leg, but also one of the best nose tackles in NFL history. So, for Rick Epchurch, I'm Mike Goodpastor. You've been listening to The Grueling Truth, where the legends speak.